So Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We ask that you'd help us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So as we've been working our way through Romans, uh, we, we get to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, this very distinct section within Romans, uh, a special section that Paul's writing to help uh, bring unity and understanding to this church in Rome who was divided um, between really racial lines between Jews and Gentiles. As Claudius was killed after kicking all of the Jews out of Rome, the Gentiles had began to increase in number. The church became predominantly Gentile. The Gentiles began thinking that the church had now replaced Israel concerning all of the promises of the scriptures. And then when Claudius was poisoned and, kill, and killed, Nero came and all of the Jews began to come back. And, and the Jewish believers within the church were now the minority, not the majority. And there was tension there. There were, there were issues that they were grappling through as a church. And so in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul is explaining the tension, trying to straighten out things there. Showing that God did indeed choose Israel, but it wasn't because Israel was special. It was because God is sovereign and he has a plan and he chose to use them in the way he did. And then as we come into chapter 10, by, just by way of catching up to where we are so we know how we, this passage fits within everything. Paul said in this present time that Israelites, uh, they're accountable to the Messiah, that each individual uh, needs to come to faith in Christ. That's how they restore their relationship with him. Just because they're an Israelite doesn't make them good with God. Just because you're a Jewish descendant doesn't mean that you're automatically going to heaven. And he shows that he cares. As a Jewish man, he cares about his, his fellow Israelites. He wants them to come to salvation. Last week, we looked at uh, verses 5 through through 7, where he goes back to Exodus chapter 30. And he he points out from Exodus 30 that it was always by faith that Moses, as he was leading Israel into the promised land, he was not going to join them. And he said, you have everything that you need. You don't need to go up to heaven. You don't need to go uh, into Hades, across the sea. The information you have, it's been given to you. You have what you need to walk with God. You need to make a choice. Either follow after him and be blessed or reject him and things won't go as well. And from that passage... In verses 8 through 10, he basically is telling Israel today and all of us today that we have what we need from God, that the Messiah came and the Messiah is Jesus. And we have the information about what he did, that the gospel, that he was killed for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day as scripture said it would happen. And that in believing in him, we have righteousness. Not that we're righteous, not that we've earned it, not that we don't sin, but that God has justified us through faith. And I love verse 11 last week. It says, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, will not be disappointed. And I, 
I can't help but to read that verse and to reflect on my own life back to whenever it was in the mid-90s, when after much harassment from friends sharing the gospel with me and many mistakes and confusion, kind of really believing that I was a Christian because I was an American and I served in the military and that made me Christian. Namely, I knew I wasn't Muslim and I knew I wasn't anything else and the one faith group I fit with was Christianity. But then coming to realize that that that's not what a Christian is. And finally, when I came to the place where I accepted Christ as Savior, there's been ups and there's been downs. I, the downs, a large part, are my own faults and consequences from sin that has kind of caused stuff in my life. And, but when I look back to 96, I can't say that I've ever been disappointed in Christ through the good times and the bad times. He's been so good to me. And most people I know that have given their life to Christ, there is a joy and there's There isn't disappointment. And Paul says he will not disappoint you if you place your faith in him. And he leads to verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Beautiful. Anyone, Jew, Gentile, were one. At the base of the cross, the the field is leveled. You either have Jesus or you don't. And when he says this, Already we looked at the end of chapter 9, verse 33, and I think it was quoted again in verse 11. Isaiah 28 is all interwoven in here, that Christ is the cornerstone, that he's a stumbling block. People either believe in him for salvation or they trip over him. We know some things about God when we look at this. For John 3, 16, I, I, I did it successfully during the first service. Hopefully I can get it through this service. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes upon him shall have everlasting life or something close to that. That Christ died for all. We know in 2 Timothy verse chapter, oh, no, I'm, I got ahead of myself. That's why there's notes in front of me. If you guys will go over to um, Acts, it's one book prior, Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 8, is this wonderful passage, Christ has died he was buried he rose he then ascended into heaven the church had been waiting the spirit came the church was born pentecost happened peter's a changed man he goes out he he's sharing christ with everybody he's able to heal people he healed a man and because he was proclaiming that jesus was the messiah he started taking all sorts of persecution he finds himself under arrest and so where we pick up in the story Peter's standing there taking serious accusations from the Sanhedrin. He was in serious trouble. This man who months earlier had denied Jesus three, even knowing Jesus three times that one night. In verse 8, we pick up the story. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. I love this because Peter's like, I'm on trial here. And the reason that I'm on trial here is because there was a crippled man who's been healed. Now I'm being brought up for all the questions. So so since you guys are asking me all these questions, I just want to make it clear here. That the reason I'm standing before you is because of this guy. 
This guy who was always crippled, you guys have known him. Jesus healed him. And I told him, I'm telling you that Jesus healed him. That's how he stands here. Just to be clear, that's why we're all here is because some man who was a crippled, who you all knew, he's been healed. Now that we've set that straight, I have a couple more things to say. Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Now he's quoting from Isaiah 28, the same one Paul uses in Romans 10. He, that's Christ, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And it goes on to say that they observed the confidence of Peter, that that he was untrained, yet clearly he'd been with God. And so Peter makes it clear here from this passage that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a divide because of our sin that separates us from God. And the only way to bridge that gap is through Christ. He's the cornerstone, the stumbling block. At the end of Peter's life, if you'll turn with me over to First Peter, or yeah, First Peter chapter two, towards the end of the Bible, and so First Peter chapter two, Peter in his letter he begins pulling from this verse and explaining it even more. And in verse four through eight, he says this. And coming to him, that's Christ, as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as spiritual houses for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. And so if you'll turn with me back to Romans, we see... Uh, this great passage that Peter uses, that Paul uses. He points to this cornerstone, Christ. Is, is, is the, the point of salvation or a great stumbling block? And where he ends in verse 13, dealing with this cornerstone, is whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as Paul says this, some questions begin to surface that... Uh, I think he wants to bring these questions to mind because he understands the significance. Clearly, Paul was driven to get the gospel out. We know that this letter in the beginning, he begins uh, greasing the skids to kind of like, hey, guys, I want to get some fruit from you. Here, he's going to point out the the necessity of missions. Later, we're going to see that he's going to say, hey, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to spend time with you. But I'm going to need your help because where I want to go is Spain. And Spain was the outermost part of the world, the place where the gospel hadn't been yet. And so he needs them to understand that there's something bigger going on 
than, than the tension that's going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. They need to, to take their eyes off of themselves and to look outward. And the questions he bring up, well, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But have you ever wondered about that person down in Africa in a tribal town or in the Amazon who's never even heard of the name Jesus? Have you ever wondered what happens to them? Well, this is what Paul's going to start hitting on. He asks a series of questions. The first one is, how will they call on him, that's Jesus, in whom they've not believed? Okay, so there's these group of people. How are they supposed to call on Jesus when they've not believed in Jesus? They don't have a relationship with him. How, how are they supposed to call out? He then asks another question. How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? Well, they don't have a relationship with him. They've never even heard about him. So if they've never even heard about him, they don't know Jesus exists. So how are they supposed to call for him? I got to get my questions ordered. Then he says, how will they hear without a preacher? Or I would say proclaimer. Don't, don't think preacher like pastor. How, how will they hear unless somebody proclaims the gospel to them? And how will they proclaim or preach unless they are sent? So he asked these questions. These are troubling questions. How do we answer these questions? Well, there's one possibility. The first one I really like. The, the first answer is, well, okay, they're down in the Amazon. They're a tribal people. They have no communication with the outside world. They've never heard about Abraham, Moses, let alone Jesus. None of the, the Judeo-Christian uh, religious beliefs, they've never heard of this. So there's no way they can be held accountable. So certainly, God's not going to condemn them if they've never even been given the chance to have the opportunity to reject Christ. So they're good. I like that one a lot. But the problem with liking that is the scripture doesn't support it. Like I, I would really like to say, well, don't worry about those people because they, they've never heard. In fact, if you do missions, you're creating all kinds of problems because if you go to them and then tell them about Jesus, then they will have the news to reject. So you're probably going to send them to hell. Because you've exposed them to the gospel, which they weren't exposed to before. Jesus is the one who made very exclusive claims about himself. And we can't rewrite what the scripture says. For it was Jesus on the night which he was betrayed, which he sat there with his apostles. And he said, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. That's an I don't like that. I mean, just in my flesh, it seems a little too absolute. And it, and it really exposes that I often come to God backwards with the, with the, wrong, with the wrong heart. Because the, really, my first reaction would be, thank you, Lord, that there's a way that we could be made right with you. And what do we know about God? Because we start having tension with this. When there are people out there that have never heard about Jesus, and the Bible makes it clear that without Jesus, they're going to hell. That's troubling, or at least it is to me. And if we go down that road in this troubling, it's easy if we lose sight of who God is to get down a bad path. And so it's important to remember who God is. What has God revealed about himself? I've already quoted John three sixteen almost successfully. I think I was pretty close. We know that God gave his only son. Because he loves the world. And 
2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, for time, I'm not going to turn there. We're told that God desires all people to come to salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9, when, when, when they're being mocked in the early church, that the wrath of God is coming. Those that didn't believe, they're like, oh, where's this wrath coming? It's been years since he died. Where's this God of yours? Peter tells us that God is so kind and gracious and he desires all people to come to salvation, that he's, he's getting the word out to those that would believe. Like he desires people to be saved. God wants people to come into a relationship with him more than I do, more than you do, more than all of us combined. He wants a relationship with him through people. So then how do we deal with the people that are over there? And some of my thoughts are, the first thing that I've come to understand is general revelation. And so if you would turn with me to, to Psalm 19, this is one of my favorite Psalms. There's multiple places in the scripture. This is one that's, that's pretty clear. So Psalms are in the middle of the Bible. And in Psalm 19, the psalmist looks at creation. I love this. I love the outdoors. I love going camping. I love looking out at creation. I would much rather be where there's no development than to be in a big city. I mean, I like being close to a city because there's a lot of perks. But there's something about going out when you're out in the middle of nowhere and looking up at the sky and being able to see the stars at night. You just can't do that in the city. To look out on the ocean with the, the world behind you, even if you're in a big city, to look out at the vastness of the ocean. To be in an aircraft looking down. It's overwhelming. And the psalmist writes, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. The voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and the utterances of the world. So he talks about creation. That when we look out at creation, to, to me... There's something just majestic when we look at these places. You go to Yosemite or to the Pacific Ocean or to the desert. It's almost like you sense God's presence in these places. And the Bible tells us that God is testifying about himself through creation. This is general revelation. That all people are able to see God at some level through his creation. Now, if we turn back to Romans... Don't go to where we were, but go to Romans chapter 1. And going back to where we started from. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul started that section where all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of the first things he said is he starts proclaiming the, the wrath of God that's due us. In verse 20, listen to what he says. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So Paul says, when you look out at creation, we should be wired to say there has to be God. There has to be something. And I'm friends with a lot of like all my friends from high school. They all did. We're all very successful. Most of them, I should say. And and a lot of them are in the science realm. And they think that they're so much smarter than me because how foolish could I be to believe in like creation? How foolish could I be when science proclaims all of this other stuff? 
But you start watching their other stuff, and every now and again, I'll, I'll find myself, normally I'm at somebody else's house, and the TV will be on, it's a Discovery Channel, talking about how the cosmos came together. And you hear these scientists talking, and you're like, are you serious? This is your, this is your reasoning that is so much more advanced than my reasoning? You guys, it takes way more faith. To believe that the intricacy of this world that we live in just happened through an explosion. Guys, I have all kind of experience with explosions. Explosions create chaos. I've never blown, and I've blown all kinds of things up. I mean, I have, I am good with C4. I like blowing up stuff. I've never blown up something and had like a Ferrari appear. I've never blown up something and then have a house suddenly appear. Nothing. But when I start looking at creation, you look at the big picture. You look, man, there was that email going around years ago that that was a science sort of, it took the picture of the earth. And it showed how big the earth seems to us. But then it started showing all of these other planets. And by the time it got to the very end, you couldn't even see the earth on the piece of paper. Because this is so much bigger than anything we can possibly imagine. And to think that all of these systems are orbiting perfectly. And that the earth finds itself in the midst of the solar system. That all of the axes are just right. That we have just the right amount of oxygen. All of these things that, that life would happen. And then you go the other way into DNA. I mean, Anna's pregnant. She's probably on the verge of running out of here right now because she's like, it's hard work. She's sick of me high-fiving for throwing up, so I try to keep it to a minimum now. And, uh, but, but you go the other way and you look at the baby developing. These very scientists would say, oh, this is just a big stuff. And they tell us that the that the child in the womb is not life. But on the same report, they could go to Mars and say, we found a drop of water. Life. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The Bible makes it very clear that God has revealed himself. When we investigate, when we, when we go to, to the molecular level and see DNA, that there's like, books upon books of codes that computer programmers can't code with that sort of perfection to think it just appeared that takes way more faith and the bible makes it clear that general revelation this god's creation it's not enough to save you but from romans chapter 1 verse 20 we do see that it's enough to condemn you and so what do we what do we do with this and I have no Bible verse to, to point to for, from this net. We're getting into Gunner's dangerous territory because this is just, this is my feeling. This is, this is taking, well, you have, we know this truth about God in this section. This is what he's revealed. We know, we know about God. We'll talk about some of these things. We, we know this about humanity. He makes it very clear that ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, that, that, that sin has entered the world, that there's death here. We experience it. We're separated from God. All of us, everyone. You could be a, a really great religious sinner or you could be a total heathen sinner. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's separation there. 
And then we look at these people that are beyond our scope of that. that how how can they be held accountable? Because that's not fair. How could God if, if God is good and loving and kind and merciful and he desires that all men come to salvation? How can this be true? And so the first thing that we need to do is I, I, I think to, to back up in human history. See, we look at people down and wherever I don't know why I'm picking on the Amazon. I just don't know where all the tribal people are that don't know, that have no contact with the world. But the person who doesn't know, we think, well, they've, they just came to like existence there. And they've never had this. But when we look at history and, and, and we, we go back in time through the scriptures, we see that at first there was Adam and Eve. They began having children. Then uh, we have Noah. There was another choke point there where the, the earth was sort of cleared out and we have a new reset point. Then we see the growth of humanity again, going to the Tower of Babel. Following the Tower of Babel, we see that languages were confused and people were scattered around the world. And so we go back to that point. And all of humanity at one point had connection with God. And this becomes really troublesome for me as a dad, as a leader of this church. Because we hear things in our culture, what's politically correct these days is to say, well, I believe in my faith, but who am I to project my faith on my children? I'm just going to let them grow up, kind of sort through things on their own, and then they can make the decision. Well, it only takes a generation or two before God has totally done away with. This was communism in the early 40s, that, that, that people going back to Russia and Mongolia, the Mannings, when they're there, trying to share about God when, when a few generations later, they don't even have a word for God and grace. And how, how do you communicate something that's been stripped from their culture? And so there's a great responsibility placed on us. Don't ask me why I'm not God, I'm not sovereign, but in his sovereignty, what he's chosen is to, to, to tell his message to people and that there's an obligation from one generation to the next. Your own children or even not your own children within this church, I'd love it that everybody's like a grandma and an aunt and an uncle and other people could speak into the kids' lives. Like there's a responsibility to the next generation to tell them about Christ. And somewhere up along the line, those people that have never heard, there was a disconnect from one generation to the next, and that's tragic. But then what I see about creation is God says that through general revelation, it, his creation, general general revelation through his creation that that he can be known that that it cries out wisdom so that tells me that every person that as long as you're you know living within creation which i think there's no spots that are excluded every person wherever they are they can look at creation and go you know what there is god this just didn't happen this just didn't happen and if we had more time i could i could have dug up all sorts of stories for you guys but there are overwhelming stories concerning missionaries who felt compelled to, to, to cross over a hill to, beyond there. They needed to go there. And all the other missionaries said, don't go there. There's crazy tribal people that will kill you. Like, it's dangerous. We're not ready to go there. And somebody said, I've got to go there. I need to go. And then they get to the top of the mountain, one story, and there's this lady, an elderly lady, waiting as she met the missionary. And she said, I know you have a message for me. What is the message? And they lay out the gospel. 
And so what you're not going to see, but I believe that if a person responds to general revelation, I don't know if obligated, I think it's probably, I always say God is obligated to respond to them, but I think that's probably a bad usage. I think God's character says that he will get the gospel to them. We hear stories of shortwave radios. We, we hear stories of people going out. However, it happens. God's not going to leave somebody that wants to respond to him behind because he's God. He's overall. But in his plan, he set it up this way that we're his ambassadors. And so what I want us to at this church, what we value, and this was a point that I tried to talk myself out of a out of a position here when I first came here. I don't know. I think Lloyd Best was there or no. She said she didn't show up to the meeting, but she said, whatever goes on, I support whatever they do. But there were about five of us. And I was getting grilled in the room that's the, it wasn't grilled. It wasn't that bad. But it was the room where the couches are. And they were all set up there. And I said, you know what? The one thing I disagree with, with the Southern Baptist denomination is how we do missions. We've, we've, turned, we've, we've turned over the reins to a denomination to do it. And there's no accountability at the church. And I said, what I believe is that God has commissioned the church to go. And so what we need to do is we need to start adopting missionaries. And so I've loved how we've brought on missionaries and really brought them in into our family. And the reason that we're compelled to go is because God has commissioned the church. The reality is, is people are out there dying. Now, I don't want to say that you have to go move to Africa to deal with snakes. Everybody cheered in Valley Center when you said you whacked them because we have rattlesnakes and nobody likes them here. We know like snakes here. But, but when I was growing and I was really kind of wrestling with, God, what, what do you want me to do? I feel you're calling me out of the Navy. I feel you're calling me into the ministry. I'm like, the one thing is, is that I feel like I'm supposed to be teaching the Bible because I speak English. And I go to seminary and some Australian guy tells me I don't even speak English right. <laughs> you know? And so I was like, well, the only place I can teach the Bible is here. Because I speak English, so I'm pretty limited. I'm going to be in the United States. And there was a side of me that there was the Navy SEAL side of me that's like paranoid about the rest of the world. That I can't go there. There's no way, Lord, I'm staying here. And then as I began to interact with people that were going, I'm like, oh, let me see if I can hook you up. Our friends that just went to Thailand. Hey, let me see if there's some resources here within the Southern Baptist denomination. And I go to the website. Do you know what I saw? A bunch we need English Bible teachers all over the world. And I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And I'm like, how am I going to get out of this? This is not good. This is not good. This is, like God's like, he's pigeonholing me into a corner and I, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. I tell Anna, I'm like, hey, Anna, you know, don't tell a missionary kid this, you know. And I'm like, you know what? I, you can teach the Bible in English all around the world. But I don't really want to. She's like, is that what God's telling you? I'm like, why you got to respond like that? It, and then we started praying. Then we interviewed with SIM, Sudan Interior Missions, or they're called something else, serving a mission, whatever. They're in Africa. We go out there, and I was like, I don't really feel called. I don't know. Like, I feel like God's forcing me to go this route. And they're like, they're so nice. And they're like, I'm like, what, what, then why are you here? I'm like, because I feel called to teach the Bible in English, but I thought that was only in the United States. And lo and behold, it's everywhere. And they're like, we could use Bible teachers. And so we went through the whole process. And and I took the test, and thankfully that psychologist looked at me, and he said, you know what? Everything that made you a great Navy SEAL would make you a horrible missionary in Africa. 
Like I could send you to I could send you to Ghana because it's very peaceful, and I could send you to South Africa. So so we're here for you if you choose. And we never really held, had peace that that's what God was leading us. So then we 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 started the process with. Uh, village missions to rural America and Canada, then to planting a church, and then God sent me to Valley Baptist Church in Valley Center. This is my Africa. And I felt like God, as he brought me here, one of the things that I felt really convicted about was that the church is failing missionaries at, at large, I believe, in the, in the hearing about how they're cared for. And God's given me really a passion for how we care for our missionaries here, that they're a part of our family, that I, that I go to see them, even though sometimes I don't want to go see them. And so I really want us to have a commitment to a worldwide vision, which I believe that we have. Our budget includes, you know, it's 10%, but we, we give far more than 10% of our budget to those in the mission field that we support. It's a blessing to me. Um, I, but I want each of us to be praying about it. Maybe it's that you go on a short-term trip. You'll notice in the bulletin. I have no idea what God's doing. But ever since I hold, heard te- about a year ago, Kelly told her story about her crazy trip to Russia. And it's a funny story. So if you ever get, catch her, to, you know, and you can get her to be as energetic as she can be. Well, you didn't go to Russia. It was just in Russia that the fun part happened. Where did you go? Ukraine. Ukraine. But she's got a funny story in Russia because she was sick as a dog. And like they needed to take her out. And then there, and Melanie's like, I really feel like I want to go on a missions trip. And so then I've been praying for us as a church. Like I don't, need, I don't have any idea what it looks like. But maybe next year, you know, it could be Mexico for a day, maybe Africa. I'm really afraid of Africa because that's the one place I really don't want to go. And the places I don't want to go, that's the places that God says, that's where you need to go. <laughs> that's how I ended up in Mongolia. So I'm really like trying to pray against that. I'm really worried about that. But, but maybe it's that you go. But, but we as a church, even if you never go, we are involved in missions around the world. First, we're committed financially to care for our missionaries. We do. And I love the generosity in this church when there are, when there are needs. And we can meet those needs without uh, having to jump through a bunch of hoops. Emotionally is, is a part that I think a lot of churches drop the ball and hearing all of our missionaries talk about the emotional support that they get here, writing a letter, calling out to them, inviting them here. However, uh, you guys allowing me to go, these things, these emotional support, viewing them as a part of our body is a huge thing. And then finally, we always kind of tack it on at the end, but, but praying for them is a big, big deal. In our church directories, those beautiful directories that we have on the very last page, all of our missionaries, their pictures are there with their email address. You can pray for them. You can zap them an email. You can play words with friends with them. If you play words with friends, don't do it with a linguist. <laughs> Michael's been crushing me, but I'm going to beat him and I'm doing it to minister to him. So, but we can reach out. We really want them to be a part of us. And I don't know what God's doing in your life, but, but you might feel like you're supposed to be going somewhere. And I'll do whatever I can do to help facilitate God's growing whatever he's doing in your life. And so with that, we'll pray. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, just for the, uh, the wonderful partnerships that we have, Lord. I thank you um, for Valley Baptist Church and our heart, Lord, for those overseas that are serving you. I thank you, Lord, just for the, 
the love um, that we have. And Father, I do want to pray specifically for the guest family as they're, they're really going through their struggles with Mihaila's health. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help all of that to go well. Lord, I pray that you would just give her a good surgeon and just all of the details of getting the surgery that it would work out. And Lord, as they uh, just check out little Abby's heart, Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, just show all the results just to show that she's, she's doing fine and nothing's needed. And Lord, we lift up Chris to you, Lord, that um, Lord, you just encourage him and the kids as they've gone through a, a few break-ins at their house and they're, they're uneasy. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give them peace. Lord, we lift up the Nichols family to you. Um, we thank you for them. We thank you for the work that they're doing. Lord, uh, as they suffer much uh, spiritual attack through these, these um, illnesses and snakes and just various things, Lord, I pray that you would continue to minister to them as only you can. Lord, that you would help them to continue the work that they started. Um, it's a wonderful thing that the scriptures are being translated into people's languages that have never heard your word in their language. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, continue them in their work with, with that team there, with Wycliffe. And, Father, again, we just thank you for this day. I, I thank you, Lord, um, for our relationship with you. Lord, help us to be a light into this world for you. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.